Brian Koberger has a series of patterns after the murders of the four Idaho students. He returned to the scene of the crime and possibly more than once. He turned off his cell phone before and after the murders. Also, he went on a couple of treks taking the long way. And it's been reported that he wore gloves after more than one time as well. And his behavior had changed after the murders. So today we're going to go through the information after the murders. I'm going to show you the roots, the interesting aspects, and his patterns. So now, let's get into it. First, I want to say thank you to those who sent me some information. In my last video, I talked about Zana's picture where she was standing in front of the sorority house and in the reflection seemed to be a white vehicle and the white vehicle looks like a Hyundai Elantra. I had wondered what time that was actually taken or what day I should say and I had information that came back that it was taken on or posted I should say on November 7th which is just less than a week before the murders and in the probable cause document it did say that Brian stalked the victims 12 times and 11 of those times were actually in the late night early mornings but that makes the other one in daylight and so I had wondered if that was one of the times so thank you to those who took the time to email me and give me that information I really do appreciate it so now let's get into the details of Brian November 13th was the night and early morning hours of the murders the the authorities say that it happened between 4 and 4.25 a.m. Now, before the murders, Brian turned off his phone. At 2.42 a.m., Brian's phone pinged in the area of his apartment. Two minutes later, the Elantra travels north. 2.47 a.m., three minutes later, Brian's phone pinged, and it was consistent with the vehicle leaving the residence. At that point is when, in the document, it says, connection to the network is disabled, such as putting the phone in airplane mode or that the phone is turned off. 2.53 a.m., the Elantra travels towards SR-270 and heads to Moscow, Idaho. 3 a.m., the phone is off and didn't utilize the cell phone towers around or near King Road. Now, just a side note, it was almost two hours to the minute that it was reportedly off. In my last video, I talked about inside the house. You can see that in the description box below or at the end of this video. So the murders took place between 4 and 4.25 a.m. Now, if we do just a quick playthrough, Kaylee and Maddie were killed and found in the same bed. One of the roommates, the surviving roommates, DM, heard things like sounds coming from above and it seemed like Kaylee was playing with the dog. She heard talking from Kaylee that someone else was in the house. She heard sounds like Xana crying and a male voice she heard saying, it's okay, I'll help you. And also the roommate saw the killer. Now at 417, there was actually dog barking that was caught on video and that video camera was only 50 feet away from where Xana's bedroom was. And that's when DM said, in the probable cause document that she opened her door a third time, saw a figure in black clothing with a mask that covered his mouth and his nose and was walking towards her. He walked towards the back sliding glass door and she locked herself in the room. Now the screams also corroborates with one of the neighbors saying that he heard screams at just after 4 a.m. as well. So the killer leaves the house and at 4.48 a.m. that's when Brian's phone turned back on. So it was off for two hours. The phone then pings near Blaine, Idaho. Now what's interesting, this is 30 minutes after the murders, which is in the time frame of the sighting of him in the house, taking into account leaving the house and going to his vehicle and then driving. And also remember, he'd be full of blood. Now between 4.50 
and 5.26 a.m., the phone travels south on Idaho State 95 to Genesee and then travels west towards Uniontown and then north back into Pullman, Washington. You can see that horseshoe shape that he did a loop. Now, if you take a closer look, it's definitely the longer way home. Pullman is almost 10 miles to the home versus the 43 that he did. So you gotta wonder. Now at 5.30 a.m., that's when his phone is back in Pullman and he stays home for three and a half hours. In the document, it states, the lack of the 8458 phone reporting to AT&T between 2.47 a.m. and 4.48 a.m. is consistent with Koberger attempting to conceal his location during the quadruple homicide that occurred at the King Road residence. Now, Brian doesn't stay home for long though. He goes on a couple of treks. Trek number one, at 9 a.m., Brian's phone leaves the residence. At 9.12, which is not the long way home, Brian's phone pinged at the King Road neighborhood and it pinged from 9.12 to 9.21. I have a couple questions here. Number one, was Brian going back to the scene of the crime because he was worried about that sheath that he left? Did he realize that the sheath was there or did he just go back kind of like how an arsonist goes back to the fire to watch it. Is he doing that? Let me know what you think in the comments below. The other question is, why keep the phone on? I asked this in my last video. Why are you keeping a phone on instead of keeping at home? I mean, he studies this in criminology, so this is interesting. But now I also think, well, he did keep it on the 12 times before, that the authorities said that he stalked the victims. So was he trying to make it look like this was a normal thing for him to be around the neighborhood? That's another question. So he leaves at nine o'clock his residence. He gets to King Road residence area at 912, stays on line 21, and then he heads back home. By 932, the phone pings back at Brian's residence, not the long way home this time. Next, on November 14th, 2022, this is trek number two that happens. It's a Monday. So my question though, first before we get into that, shouldn't he be in class this day or did he just have class in the morning? If you know that answer, please let me know below or email me at itsacrimeandashame at gmail.com. So trek number two happens. This starts at 12.36 p.m. The phone is pinged in Clarkston, Washington. Now this is actually 49 minutes away from his house in Pullman. The phone pings in an area where Kate's Cup of Joe coffee stand is. Surveillance footage catches Brian's vehicle at 820 Port Drive, Clarkston, Washington, which is adjacent to Kate's Cup of Joe, and it shows a white Elantra consistent with Brian's drive past Kate's Cup of Joe. At 12.46 p.m., which is 10 minutes later, his cell phone pings and it pings at Albertson's grocery store. Three minutes later at 12.49 p.m., it shows Brian on surveillance exiting his white Hyundai Elantra. Interior surveillance says that it shows Brian walking through the store and purchase unknown items at the checkout and he leaves at approximately 1.04 p.m. Now I wonder was he wearing gloves in that surveillance footage because we hear a couple weeks after the murders that he wore gloves in a supermarket but this is only a couple days after and we also hear that he wore gloves when he was in Pennsylvania but we'll talk about that in a minute. So at 1.04 p.m. Brian leaves Albertsons. Now what happens next isn't 100% confirmed but there's footage of a white vehicle 
that looks like it would be Brian's vehicle go back to the King Road residence at 2 p.m. I haven't heard anything either or that it is or isn't Brian's, but only that is it. It was speculating, could that be Brian's vehicle? Now the timing would fit because when I plug that into Google Maps. It would take him about 40 minutes to get to King Road and he left Albertsons at 1.05, so he'd have time and that would match up to 2 p.m. the car being spotted. Now we go on trek number three. According to the documents, Brian goes to Johnson, Idaho, which is two hours east. Now it's unclear if he had gone anywhere before heading to Johnson. But according to the docs, it says that the phone is pinged between 5.32 p.m. to 5.36 p.m. It pings in Johnson, Idaho, which is an hour and a half away from Clarkston, two hours away from Pullman. So the latest he'd have to leave the area to go to Johnson is 3.30 p.m. if he was in Moscow. And if he didn't go, then the latest he'd have to leave Clarkston, where that Albertsons was, was 4 p.m. Now between 5.30 and 8.30 p.m., the phone is turned off. Again, almost three hours on the mark, just a six minute difference. So what was he doing? Was he getting rid of evidence? Was he getting rid of a weapon? Perhaps burning some clothing that would be full of blood? There's so many things here. It also doesn't say in the documents where it, he is when the phone goes back on, so I'm very curious about that. He has another two hours to make it back to Pullman, so that would be 10.30 p.m if he goes back straight to his residence. So these biggest questions here is, what was he doing in Johnson, Idaho? And we saw him shut off the phone before the murders, which, you know, there's about to be something big go down. And now we see him shutting off his phone again before something big goes down, potentially. And I'm willing to bet in my opinion. What do you think? There's obviously a reason why he's turning it off. Unless it's a diversion. Another thing to point out, the phone is off for three hours this time. Almost on the hour, same as before. Do you think he's timing it? Now, a few days after the killings, it's reported that Brian asked neighbors if they heard about the murders. And the neighbor said that Brian told them that it was a crime of passion, or it seemed to be a crime of passion, and that it seems like they don't have any leads, even though it was just a couple days after the murders. Four days after the murders, Brian has a doctor appointment. It's said to be a routine appointment. He was described by staff as being charming and chatty and that he was so friendly that the boss took notice. So nice and charming was the exact wording. Now we heard this from school that Brian was more chatty, more upbeat, after the murders. And one of Brian's neighbors also called him chatty as well. And I wonder the doctor's appointment, were there any scratches on him? What was the doctor's appointment for? It's very interesting. Now on November 19th, two days after the doctor's appointment, Brian goes and registers his car in Washington state. Now he had his vehicle registered in Pennsylvania and he didn't change it until November. And because he was registered in Pennsylvania, he only had to have a back plate. He didn't have to have a front plate, which now makes the very common white Hyundai Elantra not so common. I think that's gonna get him with the footage in my opinion. Now, one other thing I wanna point out, there's a law that you have to change over your plates after 30 days of living there. Now, I'm not sure if it doesn't apply to students. Let me know below on what that is, but from what I saw, it says you have 30 days to title, register, and get Washington Place on your vehicle. You can get a $529 minimum traffic fine if you are a resident and do not license your vehicle in this state. We know Brian was 
pulled over on August 21st, which would have been when he first moved there-ish. And he also was stopped in October. So I wonder if he was warned or if there was any conversation surrounding that. Now let's fast forward a few more days, two days after that, on November 21st was Brian's 28th birthday. That's eight days after the murders. He was born November 21st, 1994. Also that day was a Monday, and it was also the first day of Thanksgiving break, according to Washington State University. It was a five-day break. Another interesting fact is there's a high amount of serial killers born in the month of November, a higher amount than any other month, according to the stats. Ted Bundy was born on November 24th, Charles Manson was born on November 12th, and the Golden State Killer was born on November 8th. Interesting, right? I do wonder, how did Brian celebrate his birthday that day? Did he stay in? Did he head out? Did he go to the King residence without his phone? I do wonder. Maybe he had a little chit-chat with some people about the murders that day too, could be. This just came in as I was doing this research. On November 24th, three days after his birthday, he texts a friend, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. And just a side note, what I observed through his texts, he does use punctuation like commas, exclamation mark, question mark, doesn't use periods, which is, I find is a little bit weird. Usually a person who does a lot of punctuation will also do the punctuation finishing the sentence. Just an observation, not a big deal. If we fast forward a little bit in December, on December 7th, two and a half weeks after his birthday, the authorities announced that they're looking for a 2011 to 2013 white Hyundai Elantra, and Brian's is a 2015. But it says, so far we have a list of approximately 22,000 registered white Hyundai Elantras that fit into our criteria that we're sorting through, but it may not be all of them, so the public can help us. Maybe one of your neighbors has one in the garage and they don't drive that often. Maybe there's one that's just not on the registration database. Let us know. Interesting now looking back. Now on December 9th, according to the academic calendar, December 9th was the term's last day of classes. On December 12th, that's when an overnight assistant manager at the gas station, it was ExxonMobil, went through their footage and saw at 3.45 a.m. a white vehicle speeding by. Detectives collected eight hours of that footage. The worker said, I had a weird feeling to get on the cameras. They drove by real quick and she said they turned down a side street of Highway 8. Now, I did mention that in my last video as well. You can take a look at that. Also, if we look back at the academic calendar again, and we look at December 12th to the 16th, there were exams at the university, and this is where it gets interesting. Did Brian just have exams on December 12th and didn't have any after that? Because he leaves out of town shortly after that. On December 13th, in the early morning hours, around 6 a.m., there's an article that's published about the gas station attendant finding this white vehicle speeding by. That same day, Brian drives with his dad and heads to Pennsylvania, where his family lives. On Google Maps, it says to go across from Pullman, Washington to Pennsylvania, and it would take 37 hours or 38 hours going that route. But Brian and his dad take an alternate route. Cameras have the white Hyundai Elantra going through Loma, Colorado, which is 14 and a half hours away. Why? And I'm not too sure about the timestamp on that. So it'd be curious when he would have left 
home. Was he worrying about the weather and that's why they went south? Is he worried about the car? Because it adds at least seven hours longer in mileage. It's over 2,800 miles versus 2,500 going the other way. And then if you're adding you know, another seven hours, it's also not taking into consideration uh, stopping time. So Brian's dad flew out, and I don't know the exact date on that, but he travels with Brian on this trip and it was said that he planned it months before. According to the Law and Crime channel, it was said that Brian's dad didn't notice anything different about Brian's behavior. But in my opinion, I found an interesting dynamic between Brian's dad and Brian in the body cam footage when they got pulled over twice. Because December 15th, they were pulled over and it was at 10.41 a.m. A deputy stops the car in Indiana and Brian gets a verbal warning. And in this footage, it's interesting because Brian's dad starts talking about a shooting at WSU, Washington State University, and he was talking about a SWAT team descending on the campus and this and that, but it had nothing to do with them. I mean, like they weren't even there. It was that morning that it happened. And so what happened, a SWAT team actually shot and killed a man after a standoff in Pullman and it says that they received a call 8.37 p.m. Wednesday which was the night before they got pulled over and it says officers arrived at the apartment and found a man in his 30s threatening to kill his roommates. The roommates were evacuated from the apartment and then the man barricaded himself inside after officers attempted to talk to him and then there was a whole bunch of people that responded to the scene including crisis negotiators and it says the suspect began firing from his apartment police said and officers evacuated the area. A member of the responding SWAT team shot and killed the man after unsuccessful negotiations, escalating behavior and continued danger to the public and the officers. The man was found dead when the Whitman County Regional SWAT team cleared the apartment, police said. So it's interesting because Brian's dad, Michael, described the shooting as horrifying, but he worded it in a way that it was like a, it was a mass shooting. And Brian seemed to look like a deer in the headlights a little bit when they were pulling him over, like, oh shoot, what is this all about? I don't know if you agree or not, but looks like that to me. And one thing that was really interesting too was when the officer was asking where he's heading and he said for Thai food. Now, I had to rewind this a few times because at first it's hard to, well, first it's hard to hear because you can hear the traffic go by, but you're wondering, I thought he was saying get tires on or something. And then I saw the article about Thai food and I'm looking at that and maybe that's what he said, but what, it's kind of like a little bit of a dumb answer. I mean, you're gonna tell the officer who just pulled you over that you're heading to go get food. And Brian's dad quickly corrects him and says, well, we're going to Pennsylvania. It was just a little odd kind of banter back and forth with the officer, in my opinion. So nine minutes after he gets pulled over, he gets pulled over again. And this time it was for following too close. The shooting gets mentioned yet again to the officer. And the cop actually jokes and says, what, you didn't want to fly? Because he knows how long it is from Washington to Pennsylvania. It's a good question. Why did they drive, really? I mean, he's off for a bit. Why are you driving so you can have your vehicle at home? Or, I mean, that's a long way and they're hauling butt. They're not taking their time to get home. They're putting in some serious hours. So on December 16th, the day after, which is interesting to me too, Brian goes and gets his car in the shop. Now I'm curious, reports are saying that he got maintenance. So was it a, you know, an oil change? Did you get a rock chip? Like what happened? I haven't heard the details of this yet. If you have, let me know. Is it something that he had done because he gets pulled over the day before and then woo, 
Not home yet in Pennsylvania yet, but now he's going to the garage. A witness who saw him said he was a little awkward but didn't seem suspicious when he saw him at the garage. He said that Brian actually spoke of his ambitions and what he wanted to do. But again, what did he get done to his vehicle? By December 17th, the next day, he arrives in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania, where his parents' house is. And December 25th, 26th, the authorities began surveilling him and they said they stayed on him for four days. Now, December 30th, Brian was arrested in the middle of the night and they seized his 2015 Elantra as well. It was said Brian spoke to law enforcement, asked for a lawyer, and also Brian's apartment was also searched and things were seized, like his desktop computer, several boxes of evidence, and multiple bags. It's also said that Brian's attorney brought private investigators into the crime scene. And the experts are saying that this is gonna be interesting. They said the fact that Brian Koberger's attorney has brought in private investigators to go through this crime scene leads me to believe that he is definitely going to mount a strong defense. And the prosecution talked about extradition. He says, having read those documents and the sealed affidavits of probable cause, I definitely believe one of the main reasons the defendant chose to waive extradition and hurry his return back to idol was the need to know what was in those documents. They also said that the office will will investigate whether Brian is involved in other unsolved crimes in the area. I'm sure all officers are looking at that. How do you go and kill four people in cold blood, literally, and have it so gruesome that this is your first rodeo? I mean, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. What do you think? Speaking of being extradited, there were some reports that said that Brian actually made small talk with the officers as he was being extradited, but it also says that he seemed really nervous. He was narrating, police said that he was narrating to himself everything that was happening. At one point he was saying something to himself like, I'm fine, this is okay. Like he was reassuring himself that this whole thing wasn't awful. What questions do you have about this case? What's something you'd like me to cover? Let me know in the comments below. Please subscribe, like, and please share this out where you can. Check out my playlist on the case here and also my last video of Before the Murders. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you soon.